So, Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up, the seven thunders, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and he swore by him who lived forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in them, and the sea and all that is in them, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the last sorry, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice I had heard from the heavens spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies in the hand of the angel who is is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages and kings. Okay. Who's enjoying studying the Revelation? Are you enjoying studying the Revelation? I am. I like it a lot. I think the KYB group is starting to study it as well. So um, they'll, they'll be able to fix up where I get it wrong, and that's good. But um, this uh, is a, uh, an interesting story today because you have this great, massive angel. And sort of with the revelation, you know, we've, we've been talking about all the imagery of it. Sometimes you're left to go, now, is this a good guy or a bad guy? And, and this part of it is in the feeling of it. And when you hear about this guy, you think, he's cool, he's good, isn't he? You understand? There's so much about him, which is, which is great. Now, I'm going to make four points today, and I'm going to say them over and over again, and I think they're excellent points. But the point one is going to be this, and we're going to get this from this message. Uh, God is powerfully ruling over this world for his people. Number two, God's ways and wisdom in the way he does things are beyond our knowledge, but that's okay. We don't know everything. Point three, we are to proclaim the mystery of the truth of Jesus to this world. And point four, this proclaiming might hurt. Okay. That last one's a bit of a... Is that how we're supposed to finish? What was the last one? The proclamation of Jesus might hurt. Okay. Right, so just to give you a, just an overview of what happens in the Revelation is you kind of get to start, remember there was the Lamb and he was the only one who could rule over history and he could open the seven scrolls. 
And the seven scrolls gave us a view of what was going to happen in history and some of it was terrible and some of it was wonderful. But you kind of got to number six seal and when he went to open that, suddenly you had a bit of a break and then you had seven, uh, uh, seven trumpets. And the seven trumpets were opened and that gave another view overlapping with the last one of everything that was going to happen. And then you got to the sixth, we had the sixth trumpet opened, oh, blown. And then we've got a bit of an interlude here. And then when the seventh trumpet is blown, suddenly you'll get seven miraculous signs. And then after seven miraculous signs, you get seven bowls of wrath or something. There's different things. Okay. So here we've got this kind of a little bit of a break between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. But all of it is in the context of God's overruling and control of all of history and the only one who can rule it wisely is Jesus because he is a lamb who's been slain. That's sort of the the overview of all of that. And again, we know that um, the, uh, the revelation is kind of a picture language and yet it's all truth. Okay? So... Uh, to give you a horrible example, towards the end we get God putting all the evil people into a wine press and mashing them up and, and uh, yeah, it's not wine that spills out. And is that really what God's going to do with people? No, but it's a picture of God's judgment. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, there's so many examples throughout it. Okay. So we're starting with uh, verse 1. Uh, there I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud. And a rainbow above his head, his face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He sees this mighty angel or a strong angel. He's coming down out of heaven. So what the action of this is on earth. It's where we live. I don't think anyone's maybe seen this angel. I don't know if any of you have. No, no, I'm putting up the hand. What What are angels for? What do they do? They serve God, yep. And uh, Hebrews 1, they definitely serve God, but there's another thing which we can easily look over, and that is Hebrews 1.14. He says, Are not all angels ministering spirits, so they minister or serve, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's us. So yes, they serve God, they do exactly what God says, and what is that? That is serving his people. That's really important, isn't it? Angels are serving you, God's people. You may not have seen them. It's happening. Occasionally you might get a feel that something, you was kind of protected there in a way that was a bit abnormal, um, but it's happening all the time. So that's what angels do. Under God, they serve his people. And actually, then, if you look back through Scripture and see the mention of angels, you'll see, oh, yeah, that's what's happening. Okay. And this angel uh, is robed in a cloud. like a, a, You imagine that to be a glory cloud. He's, he's, there's glory all around him. And there's a rainbow over his head. Now, what does a rainbow remind us of? God's covenant with Noah. And, and what was God's covenant with Noah? Never again will I destroy all the people of earth. Um, how, and then in, in 1 Peter 3, you can read this later, in 1 Peter 3, 19 and onwards, it speaks, Noah says, yeah, yeah, there was this thing with Noah and the ark. However, 
that looks forward to Jesus. Okay? His salvation, his, re- his resurrection, uh, a symbol, uh, sorry, the ark is a symbol looking forward to Jesus. Okay. So this angel has over his head God's promise to protect his people. They're not all going to die. That's going to happen through Jesus. Okay? And he, has, he shines like the sun. Now, by the way, this is not Jesus. This is an angel. Okay? But an angel that does what God says. And he is massive. We're supposed to get a picture in our head of this. And he is an awesome, strong angel. Why is that important? Because of what he does. This brings comfort to us because he is strong in ruling where? Over the earth. Under God. Protecting God's people and doing God's will. Can you see that? That's comforting. Uh, he, he was holding a little scroll. So you've got a great big angel with a little tiny scroll. Why is that little tiny scroll? Well, actually, for humans, it's full life size. For him, it's tiny. You understand? It lay open in his hand, and he's got one foot planted on the sea. Uh, remember, angels can stand on the sea. And one foot on the land, and he gave a shout, a loud shout, like a roar of a lion, and when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. So he's got this little scroll, and again, the scrolls is something like... The, the, what's happening in history and God's rulership over history and it's already open and again, if he stands on the land and he stands on the sea he has mastery over the land and the sea he is strong, he is ruling over that Okay. we know in the, the sea in the revelation is where all evil comes from and kind of the land is where evil's, all evil's done and he is above both of those. He is over them. And he's enormous. It's comforting to know that he towers over everything in this world. And if he towers over everything in this world and angels are sent to serve those who will inherit salvation, this is good. You get it, isn't it? When I was at school one time, I remember I was getting beat up by other kids. Yeah, I don't know if that ever happened. I was like the nerdy kid. No other nerdy kids here. And, and into the situation, I, for a few years, my oldest brother was at school with me and he was in year 11. And he was one of these kids who got the six foot before he got to the end of year 11. And I remember this, just this moment and, and he came up and he started pulling these kids off and he held out his fist. And at that time, his fist to me was huge. And to these other kids who were beating me up, his fist was huge. And they scampered. And that was very encouraging. Yeah? Well, if you've got an angel who's a lot bigger than my big brother, yeah, and he's ruling and he's serving God for the people, can you see the encouragement in that? It's a good encouragement, isn't it? Because, you see, as a church, we can think, you know, the church in this world is insignificant. Percentage-wise, it's insignificant. Power-wise, it's insignificant. In fact, I think that the church is at its weakest when it's significant in the world. Because then it's combining the world with itself. But we are best off being insignificant. And sometimes, though, we might think, you know, the church is dying. Sometimes people tell us the church is dying. 
It's struggling with heresies. Why does the devil why does the devil seem to always be at work in the church? Well where else would you expect him to be at work? He's not fighting the people of the world, he's happy where they are. Do you understand? So um, we can think that the church and God's people are in danger and God is bringing us as an encouragement with a huge angel who does what God commands and serves us and in his hand is the word of God. The word of God. Do you understand this? God is not in danger of losing. Yeah, not the battle for all time. It's not going to happen. God is in complete control. And his angel, who is God's little servant, even though he's massive to us, God's little servant is standing above all, towering over us, and over all those things, that, even those things that we might call disasters, those things that we think might take God by surprise, which never do. And he has a voice like the roaring of a lion which is followed by thunder. And, and I, I, I know we, I often talk about thunder, but thunder is incredibly powerful and if you're outside, it's frightening, isn't it? Doesn't it scare the pants off you when it, goes, when it really goes bang right over your head and the ground shakes and everything shakes? That's God's voice. Like powerful thunder. And in the Revelation, wherever there's thunder, there is God's action. God is acting and there's thunder. It's kind of like, it's not gentle mood music in the background when God acts. There's thunder. Right, so you've got point one. God's in control, he's sovereign, he's ruling, he's ruling over, he stands on evil, he stands on good. He's working like thunder for his people. That's a, that's a really encouraging point. Point two is something like this. God's ways and his wisdom and his workings are beyond our knowledge. Although we understand some of it, there's some that we will not know. So in verse four, when the seventh thunder spoke, I was about to write it down. Well, the whole time, you see, John's been seeing things and being told things and he's been writing them down. That's what he's been doing. And suddenly he, he, read, he sees what's happening here and he goes to, he pulls out his pen, does that little click, and the angel says no. No, sorry, a voice from heaven said no. Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So do you want to know what's in, what happens in the seven thunders? We don't know. Yep, okay. We don't know. Whatever John heard and saw was for him alone and not for the readers. So John had some knowledge that we don't know. That's a bit unfair, isn't it? Surely. We're egalitarian before God, aren't we? We all get the same? No, not quite. Do you remember Paul? Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12, he has a revelation and he calls it, he was caught up to the third heaven, up to paradise, and he heard inexpressible things. Oh, cool, what were they? Things that no one is permitted to tell. He's not allowed to tell us. In the same sort of way. Okay. Do you know um, people love to read the Revelation and draw pictures and timelines and say this is what's going to happen and this is what's going to happen. Just understand this. Firstly, there is a chapter which we don't get. Why don't we get? Because we don't know and we're not being told. And why haven't we been told? Because we don't need to be told. Do we? Yep. 
All right, another place this happens is in Daniel 12. If you can read this later, Daniel 12, chapter four, uh, verse 5 and onwards. And Daniel has been told about astonishing things which were to happen. And he says, he asks, my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? And he replied, go on your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be, so he said, you can't know that. He does say this, many will be purified and made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So we do know this, some people are going to be purified, some people are going to remain wicked, and then he finishes with this, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up until, and sealed until the time of the end. In other words, you don't need to know. That's not for you. It'll all come about in the right time, in the right place, in God's eternal plans, and it's safe. You see, not all that God knows is we're going to... How could we contain in our little puny brains everything that God's doing anyway? But we don't need to know everything. There are some things that God tells us that we should know and we need to know. But in Romans 11, just to, to kind of bring again this point, he says... Uh, Romans 11.33 Oh the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord put up your hand if you've known the mind of the Lord who has been his counsellor anybody here who's telling God what to do who has ever given to God that God should repay him like God owes me big time no nobody For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Okay. So if you want to know all things and you want to have a timeline for history and everything, you're not going to know it all. Uh, As if it's, it's kind of like we deserve to know it all so that we can weigh up and maybe we can even judge God to see if he's doing things the right way. My wisdom can weigh up all things. Do you know we don't know the hour of the day? Yep. When Jesus will return, that is. We don't know the length of our own days. I, you know, I remember through the drought hearing from a number of different Christians who were predicting what was going to happen next and none of them got it right. But we don't need to. Is next year going to be a drought or a good year or an average year? Do you know that? Anybody? <laughs> right. Make your long-range predictions, people. Yep. Not all is revealed. But we do live by what has been revealed and it's enough to know that God is in control and ruling over all things, isn't it? In fact, I reckon that if we could know the knowledge of everything good and bad that is going to happen in this world in times to come, it would crush us. We're not capable of holding that, are we? We're not supposed to be because we're not God. Yep, I remember a bloke saying, the whole of the Bible can be summed up in this. God is God and you aren't. <laughs> yep. Okay, but now we see in part, later we shall see fully. Okay, this gives us an incredible joy. But we do know that he's powerfully ruling over all things and he's ministering through powerful angels and power the great powers of heaven for us. 
Now, if you were to read a commentary on the, on the book of Revelation, you'll find that there are all sorts of speculations of people telling you what really was said in those seven thunders. Isn't that funny? <laughs> they devote a whole lot of time when we should be content with this. Go your way, Daniel. Or go your way, put your name there. Because the words are closed up and sealed until the end of time. Until oh, the time of the end. Okay. It is okay for us not to know all things. Then, the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them and the, and the earth and all that's in them and the sea and so on. There will be no more delay. So don't think God's holding back on his plans. He is working out his plans. There's no delay in this. We can't see it, but that doesn't mean. Uh, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. The mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Hang on. So, so the prophets told us something about the mystery of God that will be accomplished. What is this talking about? Okay. So we're going to go on. What is the mystery of God that has been announced to us through the prophets already? And it is the mystery of Christ, which, who we are to proclaim to this world. Now, Paul says this in Ephesians 1, 9-12. He says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So the mystery of his will was purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfilment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So guess what? He has told us that. In the end, he's going to bring all things together under one head that's Christ. That's good, isn't it? And he's done it through him. In him we were also chosen, he's told us that, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So we do know that too. God works out everything in in conformity with the purpose of his will. Nothing takes God by surprise again. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Right. There is a mystery that has been made known and it's the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a revelation. And you know it's a revelation because not everybody knows it. If you are such a person that believes that Jesus died to restore you to God by taking away your sins and he bore his sins himself, and then he was raised from the dead, that we too might be raised. If you're such a person who believes that, that's by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Yep. Because not everyone knows it. And if you think that that's the most sensible thing in the world, then as far as this world goes, you are foolish. But you are actually the most most wise person out there. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? The truth of the mystery of God is made known. And we do know that. But it is a revelation of the Holy Spirit. We can preach the gospel and we are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But people will only believe by the revelation of God. Do you understand that? Now that's good news because God's about revealing. Yep. 
But you see the good news? If, 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 if it's, not, it, it's not that God says, well, I'm going to do it all myself, so you're just going to have to well, be a bit disappointed. He's saying, I will reveal myself and you through your preaching, so preach and proclaim, and as you do, I will reveal myself. Do you understand? People will be saved. Okay, Paul says in Ephesians 3, sorry, I'm, I'm hammering these passages, but this is a really important point of the mystery of the gospel, which if you take that word mystery and look at Paul, you'll find it's there all over, all over the place. You see, a mystery is, is, can be known when it's revealed. And that's what happens. Paul says in Ephesians 3, 8, Although I am the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So there's these unsearchable riches, and I've been given the job to preach that, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for past ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. So this mystery was kept secret, but now it's been made known. His intent was now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. I've started by saying we don't know everything, there is something we do know which is enough. Actually, it's more than enough. It's everything we could ever want. It is the mystery of Christ. The revelation, actually, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it starts by saying, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, He didn't say, this is the revelation of a timeline for history. And he didn't say that. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ who stands over history and who opens history and rules over history. Because if we want understanding of the history, we actually need to know Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to know. Who cares about tomorrow when you know Jesus Christ is ruling over history? You don't need to know the other bits. The good year, bad year, how long you got to go, any of that. doesn't matter because we know Jesus Christ. He is the revelation. He is the mystery that has been made known to us in this time. Gee, I hope that makes sense to you. It's all you need to know. Okay. And we are, as Paul, to proclaim this mystery, knowing that in the same way as Paul proclaimed the mystery, the Holy Spirit made known to people. When we proclaim the mystery, the Holy Spirit will also make known. He will bring about his truth. Okay. So that's the first three points. God's in control of everything. Point two he is, uh, his ways and his wisdom are above our understanding. We don't understand everything. But point three, we've been given enough to know and we know that truth and we are to proclaim that to this world. So we are to tell people about what Jesus has done for us. But this proclamation will hurt. Uh, when I say hurt, I mean us. Um, yeah, okay. So, then, the, then the, this is verse 8. Then the voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more, go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea of the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll and he said to me, take it and eat it. Eating a scroll? 
It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. Okay. So he eats, he eats this scroll and it tastes beautiful. But then later on, his stomach is turned. It, it, it becomes bitter or something, or it, it becomes painful to him. It's talking about more than indigestion, I think. Um, but there, there's some, something in the way that this happens. It's basically, in a sense, it's this. The gospel is so sweet to us, and we love to think on it. We love to read the word. We love to get it, and it, it tastes so good in our mouths. And yet when we speak it afterwards, there's a bit of a consequence that happens around us and in us and in other people. And uh, I'll go on more. But it's actually, it's quite uh, similar to what happened in Ezekiel. If you re- remember the book of Ezekiel, in chapter, the end of chapter 2 and the start of chapter 3, the same thing happens. When I looked, I saw a hand outstretched to me. It was, in it was a scroll. When, he unrolled be- when, it, when it unrolled before me, on both sides were written words of lament and mourning and woe, or judgment. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. And then go and speak to the house of Israel. In other words, eat the word of God and then speak it. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And then he said, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving to you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. So he loved it. But then a few verses later, God says, by the way, but the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you. You'll speak those sweet words. But they are obstinate and hardened. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest of stones, harder than flint. In other words, you're going to speak it, speak out these sweet words. People are going to hate it, but I'm going to make you strong. Do not be afraid or terrified of them, though they are a rebellious people. He said, Son of man, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Now go to the people in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. In other words, I've given you a job to speak. Some will listen and some will fail to listen. That's our lives as Christians, isn't it? Are we going to be honest? Has everyone you've ever mentioned Jesus to believed? Has everyone you've ever mentioned Jesus to not believed? I can tell there's Christians. Somehow the church just keeps going because there's a revelation of Jesus Christ that causes people to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, become Christians. So, but understand this. It will hurt to preach the gospel. It will hurt. And sometimes because of that hurt, we won't speak. You understand? Uh, in, in sometimes it will be a fear of rejection, a fear of our rejection. And that's some of the pain, but the greater pain is when people reject the gospel. That's a great pain to us, especially when it's people we love, isn't it? It's a great pain. Uh, it, and then it's even more painful when we speak and they don't accept the message and then they won't let us speak again. It's painful to us, that rejection. It turns our stomachs. Is that true? 
but some will believe because that word is spoken because God commanded it. And if God commanded that word to be spoken, he will use that word. But what we have to accept is that bitterness of knowing that some will listen and some will fail to listen. And that is the truth. So that actually should stop us from being distressed and distraught because it's a reality that, and it doesn't mean that God's not in control. He's still ruling. Okay, does all of that make sense? He finishes this angel by saying, oh, this story of the angel. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages and kings. You're going to be speaking before not only the church, not only Christians, but before the nations of this world. And he uses the word prophesy. And, and you see, so often when we think of the word prophesy, we're thinking foretell the future. But we've been told now we don't know all of the future. And in the context of the revelation, the word prophesy and prophecy is actually talking about the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in um, Revelation 19.10, uh, uh, it said, I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers. Hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus or the witness of Jesus or the, the proclamation of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Do you know what the heart of prophecy is? It's the message of Jesus Christ. Do you want to prophesy? That's why Paul says you should all desire to be prophets. Not because you're going to be telling people some secret stuff, but because you're going to be telling them about Jesus Christ. He is the heart of all prophecy. And why? Because it's the mystery of the revelation. There's a mystery of all that God's doing is through Christ. So we'd all want to be prophets then, wouldn't we? But knowing that, not all will receive it. Okay. Four points. What are they? God's in control of all things. Number two. What's that? Okay. We don't know everything that's going to happen, and that's okay. Because we do know the proclamation of Jesus Christ, which is the mystery of God, which is all we need to know. And as we proclaim that, sometimes it's going to hurt. Uh, by the way, it won't always hurt. There'll be some really good days in there too. Do you understand? Because God's at work. I'm going to pray. Father, you've uh, showed us the, the truth and uh, sometimes we feel very weak and sometimes we feel like we've got nothing to say. So I pray that at those times you would embolden us with a vision of a great angel standing over us. That you're in power, that you, uh, have rule, you rule over this angel. You tell him what to do and he serves us. I pray that you would give us confidence because you're in control. And I pray, Father, that when we don't know things, that we would live as people with a simple faith, not desiring or wanting to know everything, but just wanting to know the things that you've shown us through your word, the scriptures. And I pray that from this, we could boldly preach Jesus. And, Father, that when it's good and when it hurts, that we would still... Boldly preach Jesus, knowing that he alone is the Lord and the Saviour of everything. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.